0: This is Unfortunate History. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Unfortunate History. This is Cody Pennington. And this is Greg Skinner. And this is a podcast that covers wacky, interesting, and unfortunate moments from history. And today, we will be diving back into the Kray Twins. But before we start, I guess I'll just mention to Greg. uh, Greg, yeah, we were discussing before we started recording. You made editing the last episode a bit difficult
1: because i do not know how to breathe like a normal human being apparently this is something new this is uh, i'm learning a lot of things about myself since doing this podcast because i figured i'd just got over um my repeated use of the word again i thought i'd got over that so i thought yeah i'm on track i'm learning i'm improving but now apparently how i breathe is a problem yeah. I'm doing it now. I'm aware of it now. I didn't know I was doing it. I can, I can feel myself doing it. I'm not obese, people. I swear <laughs> to God, I'm not obese. Your breathing's not
0: edit-friendly. <laughs> just say that. I had to edit out so many breaths. I think, like, 80% of what you gave through the last episode was just breathing. <laughs> it's, no, I, man.
1: <laughs> my therapist is gonna hear about this. <laughs> This is not doing my self-esteem. Any good Cody.
0: That's not what this podcast is for.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This podcast is about unfortunate history. You slags came here for a shootout. (laughs)
0: Well, today will be the conclusion of our series on the twin London crime lords, the Cray Twins. Last episode, we discussed the twins' rise to power and Ronnie Cray's descent into madness. Ronnie's mental instability led him to shooting George Cornell in the head inside the Blind Beggar pub in 1966, as most of the listeners will know. Now, today's episode, we will jump back in time slightly to discuss Reggie and his first wife, Frances. We'll then hop forward in time to cover some of the more intriguing deaths that occurred around the craze. These deaths are still hotly debated to this day, so we'll try to give multiple sides to the murders, but it's obviously quite difficult to decide what is truly fact and what is a lie. What is true is that the information in this episode describes the downfall of the Cray twins.
1: All right, that's the juicy stuff. This is what this podcast is all about, the downfall of these people.
0: We got a couple of murders coming up, but first we need to discuss Reggie and his wife, Frances. Now, in 1962, Reggie went to meet with a friend by the name of Frank Shea at his home. However, Frank wasn't actually home. Who was home was Frank's sister, Frances. Her being the one to open the door for Reggie may be seen as good or bad luck, depending on how you look at it. Now, Reggie himself saw this as incredibly good luck because he describes that moment as love at first sight. However... The ending to this relationship would prove to be nothing but unlucky for Francis.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, she was she was a lot younger than um, she was quite young, wasn't she? If I recall, she was.
0: Yeah. um, Well, when he uh, Reggie asked Francis to go on a date with him, to which she did agree, and at that time, Francis was eighteen years old, with Reggie being almost thirty
1: well okay that that ain't so bad i just heard that she was younger so i thought maybe she was like a bit too young but okay that's that's fine
0: i guess yeah well let me tell you the the rest of the information I, i may be on the opposite side of that but let me tell you a little bit more of the information and i'll ask you again how you feel about the age difference
1: also lazy naming by the parents frank and francis frank and frank
0: yeah yeah they really just kind of Pulled it out of the same Frank hat, really.
1: Well, I guess when you're in Britain around that time, wasn't really sure if your kid was going to live past six months. So, yeah, Frank and Frank, and we'll see how they get on.
0: She's lucky she wasn't like child one or child two. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, I'm not sure if it was the age difference or the fact that Reggie was an actual crime lord who beat the shit out of people for a living, but either way, Francis's parents did not like the fact that their daughter was dating Reggie. Even still, the two continued dating for years. Interesting enough, actually, Francis's father was employed by the Cray twins. So that's something to remember throughout this next bit of information. He was actually their employee. They paid him money. (laughs) Now, during the time of their relationship, Reggie states in his book that Francis was a very well-mannered, well-brought-up girl. She was a very respectable girl, somewhat very old-fashioned, if you will. However, he also describes her in a pretty odd way in the book. The book, uh, Our Story is the one I'm talking about. He describes her as a child, really. In one sentence, he'll describe her as a child with no real world experience, but in the next he'll say she's a mature woman. He even refers to her once in the book as his princess, which just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Uh,
1: his, his princess.
0: Yeah, he, he said he doted on her as his princess. And I feel like that's how I would talk to my daughter, mm. not necessarily my
1: wife. And Saying she's a, a
0: child. <laughs> yeah, well, he just said that she was childlike because she hadn't really experienced much of the world. She was more of a well-to-do, brought-up English mm. girl, you know. Back in the, mm. he even goes in, into it in the book, saying that back in those days, women of her age were virgins, and that's just what it was. But obviously, that's changed today. But yeah, it ain't you... like that no more. <laughs> no, no, not not so, not so much. No, nothing wrong with that, though. You know, do what you do what you want. You know, win in Rome. You know, like we said last episode. Yeah, get your rocks off, you freaky people. Yeah, absolutely. Now, other than her mannerisms and maturity, Reggie also describes a bit of Francis's mental state in the book. According to Reggie, Francis seemed depressed even from the moment he met her. He recalls hearing Francis regularly say that she would never live to see old age, to which he would always just disagree with her. Now, it's a pretty striking thing to read in a book that was written in the 80s discussing a girl from the 60s. It's fairly interesting to me that even Reggie would likely see her as having mental issues, even in a time when mental issues weren't necessarily in the forefront of anything medical it
1: wasn't even a thing back then to those it wasn't looked at as it's not like how it is today dialogue. I know it was a thing but it wasn't seen as a thing if you know what I mean i think
0: no of course no see the reason i think that he noticed it a bit more is because of the fact that ronnie dealt with mental issues mm. so maybe maybe he saw it a bit more and was more accepting of it because he knew his brother dealt with it anyways
1: to be fair that you put two plus two together quite well there because for for some reason i just completely overlooked that and never thought of it that way
0: i'm really good at this (laughs) 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 now either way it seems that francis was not mentally healthy in some way we obviously don't know dead on exact details but she wasn't necessarily mentally healthy now to that point i think the real disagreements between historians or what i've started calling (laughs) cranemaniacs they disagree on the point on this point when you try to figure out what caused francis's mental health issues some claim that it was reggie some say that he was violent towards her controlling towards her that sort of thing and again we can't really prove that Mm. that may have been the case but reggie does somewhat deny this in the book however he does state that he didn't actually want her working and would rather her be taken care of by him, which another thing plays into the whole princess thing, which is just a bit weird. Yeah, And I think it was also a sign of the times as well of man, the man should work, the woman shouldn't go back to being... She was a secretary. He didn't want her to go back to being a secretary. I want to provide for you. You don't have to work, that sort of thing. But it, I still think that could be argued as being controlling even in those times if I were to argue it. He's the only source
1: of income. He's the only source of money. She needs him to stay alive.
0: Yeah, which I think is actually pretty fucked up, considering his whole source of income is criminality. Mm-hmm. Is, is, you know what I mean, and and that is not probably the best source of income to raise a family <laughs> on. So.
1: It's not like you're saying you're a doctor, like you don't need to work. I've, I've got a stable income. Like, literally, you could go to prison at any time.
0: Yeah, and he did <laughs> frequently.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He did.
0: Yeah. Now. Like I said, the man wanting the wife not to work, that was obviously somewhat common in those times, but it does show a level of controlling behavior. Now, the claim is that Reggie's alleged controlling and abusive behavior, whether physical or mental, caused Francis's mental problems. But Reggie believes there was another cause to her mental health issues. Reggie claims that they were a madly in-love couple, and he blames Frances' mental health issues on her controlling parents. Because you see, even though the two were dating for years— Francis's parents never really accepted Reggie. He asked multiple times for their blessing to propose to Francis and every single time they said no. And it actually got to the point where he ended up just asking Francis without their blessing. She said yes and the parents were pretty much forced into accepting it. But it's interesting because like I said, her father was actually working for the mm. craze. And he on, in the book, it's really when you read it, it kind of it kind of strikes you in a different way as well when he describes this saying, "I asked for her hand in marriage." And her dad told me no, but he was more than happy to take my money. And it's like, (laughs) you think that you paying this man should get you his daughter <laughs> yeah what
1: <laughs> i can picture that being a pretty tough situation for the dad if i'm being totally honest but again it seems like he didn't have much of a fucking choice anyway because what what was he gonna do what was he gonna do <laughs> well, at a
0: certain point they just he just went ahead with it and francis obviously she knew about him asking for their blessing so they were dating for years at this point when he actually just said fuck it i'm gonna propose to her she mm. knew that the proposal was coming but and she knew that whenever he asked they would say no so uh, she, it's not like she was kind of out of the out of the blue or anything mm. like that she knew that the parents were saying no but i would assume she just kind of she probably did really love reggie and just and also probably liked all the money and all that kind of Ooh. stuff
1: yeah i guess so but probably didn't like the go to prison and being controlled and manipulated because against that thing Ray says in his book I was a loving thing. Like, You're gonna say that in your book.
0: Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm, sure of course a lot of,
1: I'm sure there's a lot of untrue things, like big ups that I'd put in my book, where I to think anyone would read it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'd read it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't purchase it. But if you got a PDF, I'd probably skim it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the name of it would be uh, "Has a 12-inch Penis," <laughs> and you know from there, it's just going to be a book of lies.
0: <laughs> there was Greg, huge cock. Thick as the dickens. (laughs) (laughs) A solid six foot four. (laughs) Handsome. (laughs) Well, anyways, even without the parents' permission, the two were married when Francis was 22 and Reggie was 31. And the wedding was actually said to have been an incredibly grand affair, one of the biggest celebrations the East End had ever seen. Celebrities were in attendance, along with nearly every business owner in the East End under the Christ protection and a bunch of other people, including, I believe, even some politicians. Afterwards, the two had a honeymoon in Greece, where it was claimed that Reggie was actually impotent, so he couldn't have sex. But this has been vehemently denied by Reggie, obviously, as you would. Again,
1: you're gonna, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course.
0: But also, to that point, I should state that soon after that, he was sued in a paternity case, saying that he was the father of another lady's daughter. So, you can't have it both ways. He obviously can't have sex. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's funny, because he mentions it in the book and says... You know, one person saying, you can't have sex, but I did have sex with her. And the other person saying, you can't have sex, but I didn't have sex with her. It's like crazy, you know, it's crazy. But, you know, first world problems. <laughs> now, Reggie claimed the two had a very enjoyable, very normal honeymoon. However, the trouble with the marriage started when the two returned. Frances's mental health began to deteriorate over the first few months of their marriage. Eventually, Reggie was sent to prison, and this only worsened her mental state. Once Reggie was out of prison, Frances ended up being hospitalized due to her depression. To battle the depression, she was prescribed barbiturates. Is that how you say that? Barbiturates. Barbiturates.
1: I have no idea. I've never heard of them.
0: Yeah, it's an old-timey way of saying antidepressants.
1: I'm sure, they would, I'm sure that was the good stuff as well. I feel yeah. you felt absolutely nothing. Yeah, <laughs> it was
0: literally a, a solid pill of cocaine. That's all it was.
1: <laughs> this will
0: pep you right up.
1: <laughs> it was just a sedative. Like, you just sat there just blank. You know <laughs> that emoji where it's just three lines. <laughs> That's how you feel all the time. She's
0: like, I'm very happy.
1: <laughs> Ecstatic.
0: Now, like I said, it was antidepressant. So I won't say barbiturates or whatever. I'll say uh I'll say antidepressants. Now, it's claimed by some that Reggie was the one that introduced Francis to the antidepressants, but he claims that they were legitimately prescribed to her for her conditions. We don't know either way, but it is claimed that he was the one that gave them to her first to help her out and all this kind of stuff. I think, actually, with her being hospitalized, they might have actually come from a literal doctor.
1: Yeah, I'll get the impression it came from a doctor.
0: (laughs) Yeah, of course. Now, all of this took its toll on their marriage, and Francis eventually moved back in with her parents. And finally, one morning, Reggie woke up with a terrible feeling that Frances had died. And he was actually right. When he called at her parents' house, it was found that she had overdosed on her medication and an apparent suicide. She had died at the age of 24, unfortunately proving her own premonition of her early death. And we will come back to Francis's suicide in a moment. But for now, we'll skip ahead to the twins, just after Ronnie had killed the gangster George Cornell from the last episode. Mm -hmm.
1: Getting our timelines going. Remember, we've gone back in time.
0: Yeah, this is in-game. This is our (laughs) in-game episode. (laughs) (laughs) Now this episode, unlike last week's episode, will contain a bit of information about the Cray Twins' brother, Charlie Cray, who didn't really have anything to do in the last episode. Now, after the murder of George Cornell, Ronnie was taken to a hiding place in the East End, Although the police could not really find enough evidence to convict him of the killing of George Cornell, the firm still wanted to keep Ronnie safe, so they took him to a hiding place. Mm -hmm. Now, Charlie was called on to meet at Ronnie's hiding place, which he did. However, Charlie was completely oblivious to the actual shooting, and the information was sort of just dropped on him when he met up with Ronnie at the hiding place. He's like, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) He was really surprised by this information, because up to this point, there's no real knowledge of... Actual deaths coming from the Cray Twins. Now, Charlie was certain that Ronnie would soon be arrested and charged by the police. But that day didn't come. At least not yet. <laughs> and that went straight to Ronnie's head. As Charlie puts it in his book, Ronnie believed that he was now completely above the law. This combined with his mental instability, made for a terrible combination. (laughs) This is evidenced by Ronnie's decision to break his friend out of prison, Frank the Mad Axeman Mitchell. You don't break
1: someone with the nickname Mad Axeman. Out of prison? <laughs>
0: nah. Unless you're a cray twin, I guess. Unless you're an identical twin, I suppose you can. If you're an identical <laughs> twin,
1: Look, that's not a combination of two people. Want you? What, what Ronnie Cray and what Frank the Mad
0: Axeman? Like. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Where was he in the film? What is this like a tag team match or something like that? I don't know if he was actually in the film at all. He wasn't. It should have been though. This is a this is a pretty interesting. uh This is actually a pretty interesting bit of the story. And I don't really know... I don't remember him being in the in the film at all either.
1: I know nothing about him. I'm just purely going off his name. <laughs> and I'm thinking, he should have definitely been in the film.
0: Well, I will tell you about Frank, the mad Axeman Mitchell right now. Now, Frank Mitchell was a brutal man, just like the Krays, known for beating and killing men with very little provocation. Actually, I don't know his history on killings, but I know that he beat the shit out of men all the time. Mm-hmm. And actually, there's stories of him protecting the Krays while they were in the prison with them. He would fight the guards whenever the guards would try to attack the Krays because the guards actually would try to provoke the Krays when they're coming up on their release dates so that they can get extra time. And then Frank Mitchell would come out of nowhere and just beat the shit out of the guards and take all the beatings for the Kray twins so they can be released. <laughs> so he was quite became quite a good friend of the Krays. But he was huge, a huge guy. He was, he was only about six foot tall, but they he said that he was just muscled to hell and i guess in the 60s six foot tall is pretty big
1: yeah in the die like i think the average was lower then than it is now so it probably was it probably was quite big
0: yeah absolutely now further to being very violent just like ronnie frank mitchell also dealt with mental instability maybe ronnie saw a bit of himself in him we don't know maybe that's why ronnie came up with the idea of breaking him out of dartmoor prison possibly Now, much like Ronnie's escape from the mental institution, the hope was that if Frank Mitchell could do well on the outside, then he should be pardoned by the home office, just like Ronnie had been. A very lofty goal, to say the least. <laughs> you know I mean? It doesn't work that way, does it? It does if you're fucking cray, I guess. But this is it's absolutely insane to say, we'll, we'll just break him out. And if he doesn't break any laws, you need to not put him back in prison. <laughs> it's like
1: it's, it's like one of those conversations you have at, like, in someone's kitchen at four in the morning <laughs> after a bender. Like, <laughs> we'll open a restaurant, Like okay, we'll, we'll get him out of prison, and then he'll get pardoned. You remember Frank? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, the Mad Men. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get him out of prison right now. Yeah! No, you fucking
0: okay, yeah. <laughs> now, I would like to say that the Crazes planned a very elaborate escape plan, or even that they attempted to use the old switcheroo that they had used in the previous episode. But that is not the case. In fact, to escape, Frank the Mad Axeman Mitchell just walked away from the prison. <laughs> <laughs> This is not what I was saying in the last episode. You just have to believe in yourself and you can escape any prison ever. (laughs) It seems really odd, but he was literally just outside with the prison group and he just walked off. (laughs) And he walked down the road and then he was picked up by a cray henchman. And the Krays described this escape plan as their most ingenious plan ever. They did, they did nothing. Yeah, I know. They were just like, Frank, just walk away. Just walk away. Just go. Just walk. <laughs> psst, psst. Just go. Go now.
1: Go now. Okay. Like, strolls yeah. down the road. What the fuck? Oh, literally... I get, like I was saying, how how do some of these prison breaks? The sound every single one sounds so simple. They're not really complicated. like they put them in the films and that, like when they need this big elaborate plan,
0: people just walk out like, like some of- kind of oceans, oceans eleven type thing. Like you know, yeah. ding, 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 and then and it's yeah. like all these crazy <laughs> yeah. things that happen, all these weird explosions, and you find out that he actually escaped in the car's muffler or something like that. Like, yeah, yeah, he's, he's
1: like he needs to wait. He needs to wait for the lightning to strike so he can hit this rock yeah. off a to get out, and it just happens. <laughs> so it works no you just walk out the fucking front door that's how you get out of he prison just, he just left
0: it's crazy now as you listeners will remember once Ronnie had escaped from the mental institution he was actually successfully pardoned it was more of a release because he was in a mental institution as opposed to a prison and Ronnie was actually coming up to the end date of his prison, imprisonment anyways before he was put into mental institution so it, it's kind of it's it's a much different situation than being in prison and escaping prison
1: Yeah,
0: but Ronnie was able to show that he was capable of living on the outside well enough. But this was not the case with Frank Mitchell. (laughs) Mitchell was not an easy person to deal with. Like I said, he was a large and a violent man, and not somebody that was easy to control. They actually said that he had the mind of a child, in a way. So you can imagine a very muscly, big child... And he's also very horny, and they always got him a lot of girls. <laughs> and he was just—he was just literally got out of prison and was fighting and fucking. That's all this guy was doing. And he had the mind of a child, so you can imagine how that probably wouldn't fit into organized crime.
1: That is terrifying. It is terrifying. <laughs> for some reason, when you said he had the mind of a child, it was pictured like this big buff dude, but with like a kid's voice.
0: Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now Frank Mitchell began causing a lot of trouble for the Crazes. So the craze decided to smuggle him out of the country because he was not going to get pardoned by the home office <laughs> in any stretch of the imagination. Now, in their book, the twins claim that this is true, that they did smuggle him out, and that one day, they actually claim in the book, that one day Frank Mitchell will resurface and everybody that claims the next part of the story will be proven wrong. However, another member of the firm tells a completely different story. But before I say this, please note... It has never been proven to be true. Okay. Now, it's claimed that the craze did tell Mitchell that he would be moved out of the country. It was planned that he would be picked up by a van to be given a ride to a country hideout area, then smuggled out of England. Now, once the van arrived, one of the men in the van stepped out, opened the door for Mitchell, and Mitchell climbed in. He sat on one of the van's wheel coverings in the back. You can probably imagine the inside of a, of a work-type van.
1: I know exactly what you're on about.
0: Yeah, exactly. So he sits on one of the wheel coverings. Opposite him are two other members of the firm on the opposite wheel covering. Now, the firm member who had opened the door for Mitchell made his way to the passenger side door. He climbed in, and he shut the door. Now, apparently, the closing of the passenger door was a signal. Once the two men in the back of the van heard the door shut they started firing on Frank Mitchell non-stop until he fell from his seat and leaned back against the van wall. One of the men got very close to him and fired three more shots directly into his heart. The wounds around his heart were actually described as, quote, jumping under his shirt due to the flow of blood spurting from the wounds. Mitchell then let out a groan, and one of the men said that he needed another one. So they put their gun to Mitchell's head and fired two more bullets behind his ear. Jesus Christ! Wouldn't they just leave him in prison? <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Yeah, could have saved everybody a bit of heartache.
1: Yeah, literally, literally Frank some heartache because he got three fucking bullets in it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and actually, I think it was Reggie that claimed that that was the biggest mistake of his life was helping Frank Mitchell escape. Now again, this murder has not been proven. However, it did make the Craze relationship with the police even worse. By this point, the police wanted to put a stop to the craze once and for all. However, they would not get the chance with Mitchell's supposed murder, since the body has never actually been found, and there was not enough evidence to convict the brothers or any members of the firm. However, the firm didn't like the fact that the craze had, quote-unquote, allegedly had one of their own members killed. So this would actually come back to haunt them in the very near future.
1: So his own uh, like sort of gang started to turn on him, in a way.
0: I mean, obviously, if you subscribe to the fact that they did have Frank Mitchell killed, mm-hmm. then yes, at this point, the firm, at least some members, started to turn on him because they saw it as very underhanded to take out one of their own members.
1: Well, you you, you would, wouldn't you?
0: <laughs> yeah, you would, absolutely.
1: It's, it, it, it's a very, like... Darth Vader tactic and he used to choke his own people just to send a message, but it probably didn't have the same effect in real life.
0: No, I can't imagine it did. It was (laughs) pretty fucking terrible. Now, up to this point, the craze had been the ruin of many men, allegedly at the very least. George Cornell was absolutely murdered by Ronnie. 100%. We know that that happened. And Frank Mitchell was very likely dead. I don't know if they would have given him a lot of money just to You know, smuggle him out and said, Here's your cash, go have fun in Spain. I just don't know if if I can honestly think that's the truth.
1: Yeah, I feel like they probably just got rid of him. Like, I can picture him being a bit of a liability, if I'm being totally honest. Yeah. Like, I'm sure, I'm I'm pretty sure Ronnie was already a liability to Reggie. Now, now having two of them and the other one arguably worse than the first, you can't have that.
0: Absolutely. And honestly, I mean, you can't really trust a kid on a, on a plane, you know?
1: No, no. Screaming and crying and...
0: Yeah, just screaming and crying and waiting for somebody to feed him. It's like, oh, God, what a <laughs> headache. They would have probably thrown him out of the plane anyways. So, so <laughs> <laughs> Now, all of that was true. Or at least the George Cornell was absolutely murdered. However, the true downfall of the craze began with the murder of Jack the Hat McVitie. I think that's how you pronounce his name, McVitie.
1: Yeah, McVitie sounds right. For anyone who's seen the movie knows this guy's story.
0: Yeah. To that point, Greg, I haven't seen the film recently. So just let me know if any of this changes from the film. Okay. Because this is the story that I got from both Reggie's confessed accounts as well as some of the documentaries and stuff that I watch. So let me know if this changes at all from the film. Yeah, I Now, Jack McVitie was a balding man who always wore a hat to hide his bald head. Hence the name, The Hat. The nickname, <laughs> The Hat. He was also a true piece of shit. He was a very violent man as well as a drunk and a druggie. Here are just some of the things he did in his past. Once, McVitie had his hands mangled by a group of men because he had been violently sexually harassing women in a bar to the point where the guys just had enough of it and literally beat his hands until they were mangled. And then a few weeks later, he was just back to harassing them again.
1: Sounds like one of those dudes who just will not learn their lesson. In the the film, I don't remember him having mangled hands, but...
0: Well, he didn't have have mangled hands to the point where they were completely disabled or he was completely uh, mutilated. It's just that they beat the shit out of his hands. Once they healed, he then went back to sexually harassing women. And another time, he shot a man in the foot for seemingly no reason. I think Reggie was talking to one... It was one of their club owners, and Reggie was talking to him... Saying that I think he owed them owed them money, maybe, and then out of nowhere, Jack the Hat just shot him in the foot. Thought it was very funny, and finally, in a particularly violent moment, he actually threw a woman from his moving car while he was driving at forty miles per hour, and the woman broke her back and was in agony, and McViddy just laughed at her.
1: Fucking up. Okay, like that he's definitely like in the film he was a piece of shit but in the same time he was also he was kind of a sympathetic character yeah he kind of he looked very like kind of beat, he was always getting beat up doing something wrong and he he had more of a sympathetic vibe to him than this guy is an absolute piece of shit like yeah. he was apparently in real life
0: so well this might actually this next bit of information might coincide quite well with the with the film just let me know now, throughout this time of causing trouble, McVitie had also been making threats towards the Krays while he was drunk and all this kind of stuff. It would happen randomly. They would usually let this stuff go because he would normally do so while he was drunk, and then afterwards he would always beg the twins for forgiveness. He would always either kind of just see them out in a pub and say, you know, fuck you guys, I'm going to fucking kill you, you guys are pieces of shit, and all this kind of stuff. And then the next day would be like, guys, please forgive me, I'm so sorry. It was really, really like... um, like a snake-type person. Yeah. Now, however, he was warned many times that he was going a bit too far. And finally, the entire thing came to a head and the twins had had enough after McVitie told Reggie that he would kill him if it was the last thing he'd do. And much like Ronnie's run-in with George Cornell, this was the moment that Reggie decided he was going to kill McVitie. Now, one evening after deciding to kill McVitie, the twins were going to attend a party at a friend's flat, which I believe was a New Year's Eve party of some kind. Now, Ronnie was apparently in a bad mood, so he just sent the flat owner and her girlfriends to another flat, which was a pretty weird, funny show of power. I don't know. Like, get out of your own house. I'm going to, uh, we need to do something. All right, you like fuck off, fuck off. <laughs> this is my flat. What do you mean, we what do fuck you mean? off, you fuck off? Yeah, go somewhere. Why don't you go somewhere else? I just made lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> my souffle's going to burn. What the hell? <laughs> Ronnie, can I trust you with the souffle? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fuck off, you slag!
0: Of course you can fucking trust me with this supply. You look, like you? Got
1: shaky hands, you slag. What <laughs> you <mean>?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Now, once the flat was clear, the twins sent a member of their firm to find McVitie, and they invited him over to the flat. But they didn't let him know that the twins were there waiting for him. Reggie didn't think that he would actually show up, but he did show up around midnight, walking through the door, saying, "Where's the birds and the booze?" That's <laughs> the first thing he said when he walked in the room. And Greg, do you want to say that like a Londoner? <laughs> Where's the slags in the booze? Yeah, where them birds?
1: <laughs> yeah, where? Yeah, yeah. Where.
0: <laughs> well, after McVitie entered the room, Reggie instantly stood up, put his gun in McVitie's face, and pulled the trigger. But nothing happened. McVitie, obviously surprised by this, Ask the twins to let him live. Now, there is a little particular point that we didn't go over in our episodes, but I will say it right now. that There was a particular point where Ronnie went to shoot somebody in the face, and his gun jammed as well. And he actually spared that person's life because he saw it as an omen or some kind of sign to not kill this person. Reggie didn't think that. <laughs> <laughs> so... Ronnie told him that he would not live because he had already crossed too many lines. So then Reggie began to struggle with him. And Reggie describes McVitie as a pretty strong guy, and he initially had trouble with wrestling him. McVitie escaped Reggie and headed to the door, but it was blocked by members of the firm. So then he turned back towards Reggie, ran past him, and tried to jump through the window. He was able to get his front half out of the window, shattering the glass and breaking the wood frame, but his back half was still stuck in the apartment and then the members of the firm grabbed him and pulled him back in, and they held him down. Reggie was then given a carving knife. As the members of the firm held him still, Reggie stabbed McVitie in the face near his eye. Reggie continued stabbing McVitie in the face and in the body until he was lifeless on the floor and he was covered in his blood. Afterwards, the twins left the body in the apartment for the other members of the firm to clean up. That's a pretty... The film got that
1: pretty bang on, if I'm entirely yeah. totally honest. From my memory, yeah.
0: As we'll see in a moment, it was a very important part of the twins' history. It's like their criminal history. It's a very important part, and it leads to the rest of their lives. So obviously, it's, mm. it's very important to get right. But I wanted to mention something to you, Greg. I didn't say this because I didn't want to interrupt the murder uh, bit of information. But when Reggie starts, <laughs> when Reggie starts wrestling with McVitie in the book. Reggie describes it and says that Ronnie's while he's wrestling with him Ronnie's going on at him saying yeah fuck him up but he's also calling him a slag and he says that (laughs) he says that verbatim in the book so I imagine you can imagine him going oh yeah you fucking slag you fucking slag (laughs) stab that slag
1: yeah get that slag it's a guy as well slag is typically a term for like you know a bit of a loose woman and he's calling like this this weedy man you slag get that slag
0: get that slag (laughs) fuck that slag up stab that slag <laughs> well, as I mentioned earlier, some of the firm members were not very happy that the craze had killed off one of their own, with the alleged killing of Frank Mitchell. Obviously, don't know if that's true, but we do know that the firm was somewhat upset. Anyways, this was brought into the limelight when the twins were finally arrested and charged with the murders of George Cornell and Jack McVitty.
1: Oh, the. They were arrested for those, were they? Is that what it was for?
0: They were arrested and charged with both of those, yeah. Now, the single murder of George Cornell was not enough to get the twins off the street. The police needed more dirt on them to truly bring them down for good. How does a
1: murder not get you off the street? Because they didn't have enough evidence. They didn't have enough people to...
0: They didn't have enough against them in general because everybody liked them. But after Frank Mitchell's disappearance or possible murder it seemed like the tide turned slightly on the craze. Now, once word got out that Reggie had killed Jack McVitie, the police knew they had enough information to build a case against the twins, if not to get them convicted on these murders. So the twins were then arrested, and the pieces began to fall. Unfortunately for Ronnie and Reggie, the police were able to get the barmaid from the blind beggar to testify that Ronnie had been the one to kill George Cornell. Which is a bit shit
1: see because again in the movie it was the opposite the barmaid didn't testify like she said look they had him in a lineup and he was like nah, none of these she was obviously in the court case she didn't she didn't testify in the court case oh oh i'm not sure well it's not mentioned in the i'm not sure on that point i thought always was about when they pointed him out of a lineup or something like that for the george cornell murder but. okay
0: so now initially nobody would turn on ronnie so, mm-hmm. initial after after the murder, I mean, it took like months for them to do that investigation. But nobody would turn on them. But by this point, they started to get more information to actually build a case against them. So they convinced this barmaid to testify against them. They gave her her they gave her a new identity, I think. Mm. So they were really trying hard to get these people to turn on them.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. One by one, the members of the firm also started to turn on the craze. The men they had employed and looked after started spilling as much information as the police wanted in exchange for deals that gave them little to no jail time. They were turning coat quickly because apparently there was a a couple of police officers that were very smooth talkers and they were really convincing for these firm members saying, if you give us this information, nothing's going to happen to you and we will take care of you. You won't get any jail time. Bad situation for the craze. But in the end... Only a handful of firm members were left on the Twins' side, and this actually included their brother Charlie. Now Charlie, unfortunately, was even given 10 years in prison for helping to dispose of Jack McVitie's body. However, McVitie's body was never actually found. Further to that, Charlie was actually home asleep at the time of the murder. But since he was a cray, he was brought down with the Twins' empire.
1: So it just purely via Sir, no, that he got sent down. That is all it is.
0: And he was jaded, if you read his book. <laughs> and he didn't, he didn't even get a character in the movie. He didn't even get a character in the movie, <laughs> yeah. That's bullshit, man. Nobody even knows that there's that there's a third cray brother. And he's just like, oh my God, it's really sad. His story's pretty sad. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, yeah, we'll get to that in just a moment. Now, eventually, at the end of the trial, the judge ruled against the brothers. And actually, a pretty incredible quote, and I'm going to quote it verbatim here. He said, quote, I am not going to waste words on you. In my view, society has earned a rest from your activities. I sentence it to you to life imprisonment, which I recommend should be no less than 30 years. <sighs>
1: <laughs> life, life, in, life in prison in England's a bit different to where you're from Cody. <laughs> yeah, but
0: 30 years when they were already 30, I mean, this was a pretty big sentence for them. In the book, they were really distraught about this. In the book that they wrote, they were like, the rest of our lives... They, they described it as saying, we will never be able to remain healthy enough mentally and physically to live a good life when we get out of prison in 30 years. So, it was a significant sentence.
1: Yeah, it was. But again, I've, got, I've been watching videos lately of people in America get sentenced to like four consecutive life sentences and it adds up to something like 200 years in prison. You're like, whoa.
0: Yeah, that's because they probably ate
1: babies. Yeah, yeah, it, it was It It was. It was that bad. It was that bad. But still, <laughs> I was expecting like life, that, that's just That's just life in England. Like life in England. Like even these days, like you can kill someone, you'll get like 12 to 14 years in prison in England.
0: It definitely depends on the circumstances, yeah. I mean, it can be pretty significant i I would say 30 years is pretty significant and the fact that they actually did they 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 were made to serve most of those sentences yeah it was it's it's pretty significant of a of a judgment i think
1: oh don't get me wrong i would be <laughs> if someone said to me i'm going to wife for 30 years i would cry like a baby in the courtroom mm. i would not take that lightly like i am now yeah. but i was just expecting i'm too i'm too used to these huge sentences that get dished out in the states
0: yeah i'm not even sure i agree with that to be honest i mean i i used to think that long life sentences were good for everybody and Capital punishment, you know, the death death penalty and all that stuff was a thing, and I don't think I agree with that as much anymore. I, I don't think that the death penalty should or death sentence should be used much um, mm. in most cases. I think life as well is is a hard one to justify, unless obviously it's a heinous act. I mean, yeah. we're talking Ted Bundy and all those prolific serial killers. Yeah, of course, mm-hmm. you know they need to go down for all of that and stay in for life, but. There's certain things, you know, like certain drug crimes. That I mean, some people get 20 years for just having weed.
1: Yeah, that, that those those charges are ludicrous, man. Yeah,
0: you know, but I don't know. That's neither here nor there. No, we were talking about the Craze and their prison sentence. <laughs> now, following the Craze trial, the twins lived the rest of their lives in prison. Their mother eventually passed away, and they were allowed to attend the funeral, although it was completely ruined by a slew of reporters hounding the twins. They said there was hundreds... Like, I think something along the lines of 500 reporters just barreling in on this funeral. The
1: paparazzi are fucking parasites, aren't they? They really are. Such yeah. bloodsucker. But it was the sun. The fucking sun. One of those papers in England.
0: Every single one of them was from the sun, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Let's get some pictures of some tits and the cries from
0: <laughs> page. Well, the craze absolutely hated this. And because of this, the twins decided to not attend their father's funeral a few years later. Now, after a number of years inside the prison, Randy, uh, oh, Randy, <laughs> Ronnie was transferred <laughs> to Dartmoor Hospital after being certified insane once again. He was definitely described as paranoid schizophrenic, and he lived the rest of his life in that hospital until his death at the age of 61 due to a heart attack. Now, Reggie lived his life in prison until he was released on compassionate grounds in 2000 due to a lengthy battle with cancer, and he lost that battle in October of that same year.
1: No way. It's, it's kind of mad to think that I was alive when Cray was alive. Because uh, um, Ronnie died quite a few. What, what, what year did did um, Ronnie die?
0: Sorry, just a second. Th- 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 th-
1: th-
0: th- 1995. Oh, was it
1: not I was I was alive when both of them were alive. And I just didn't have a clue who they were.
0: As well as Charlie. Quit cutting Charlie out of the damn picture, you know. <laughs> the twins' brother, Charlie, served seven of his ten-year sentence... For supposedly disposing of McVitie's body. Mm. But he found trouble in actually staying out of prison. He dealt with many drug related issues that saw him arrested multiple times. And he finally passed away in 2000 at the age of 73 from natural causes while still serving a sentence related to drug abuse.
1: Oh, so two of them went in one year?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, they did. Um, I think Charlie went before Ronnie. I think uh, Reggie. I think Reggie outlived all of them. Um, that's that's kind of a bittersweetness, isn't it? Really, like super bittersweet. Yeah, he outlived his whole family.
1: Well, you've riddled with cancer, and then you've you've also got a you've, your former wife co- committed suicide, yeah, and like
0: exactly, yeah. Well, we're gonna get to that right now. Actually, I want to mention one final note about that. While Reggie was in prison, he allegedly developed a homosexual relationship with another inmate, which isn't very hard to imagine. It is claimed that they were both homosexual when they were younger. And he was obviously living his entire life in prison at that point. So him having a homosexual relationship, it's uh, you know, it's it's, it's expected. Um, <laughs> you gotta no, get it from somewhere, man. Well, no, I'm just saying. You know, you, you need. <laughs> I mean, I think even this relationship was actually considered. It was it was described as a comfort. It was more of a of a, a really trusting relationship. It, it wasn't just a you know, you know two inmates getting it off. They were actually they they like. They actually had a relationship. Now, this inmate actually alleges that one evening, and he describes this evening in a, in a certain way, he describes it as one of the evenings where we would turn the lights down and turn on some nice music, and they were basically cuddling. Well, on this evening, Reggie confided in him something that he had only confided in two other people in his life. Now, this inmate alleges that Reggie told him that his brother Ronnie had been the cause of Francis's death. He said that Ronnie had forced Francis to take the pills that ended her life, likely jealous that she was coming between him and his brother. And Reggie says that Ronnie confessed this to him two days after her death. This is not certain, but it's worth mentioning nonetheless.
1: That seems a bit far fetched to me, to be honest. I, I, I can't. How do you force someone to take pills? <laughs> But you can force them down the throat, or
0: well, no, I mean, I mean, you just threaten them, threaten to kill them. Sitting, you know, that I can see that happening very easily. Just saying, you know, I'll kill you and beat you to death if you don't just take these pills. And she was already, she was already depressed, so I can imagine It, it could happen, but I mean, it is described that when they first got together, Francis and Reggie, that Ronnie was insanely jealous of her. That is claimed by a mm. couple of people, actually. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Ronnie was inst- unstable, so I don't know it, whether it could or couldn't been the truth. We don't know.
1: Well, I guess we'll never know. Yeah, it's all sort of hearsay at this point, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's a lot of hearsay in this story. Now, the craze were a force to be reckoned with. Two identically unstoppable people hell-bent on running things their own way in the East End. They made a mark that still survives to this day in England. Children hear stories about them and want to be them, and adults idolize them. But they were not nice people. They were hardened criminals. They caused the death of multiple people, possibly including the young Francis. And I don't think this story could possibly end more unfortunate than that.
1: And that is truly unfortunate. Took your line.
0: All right. That was my line. I was trying a different version of the line.
1: (laughs) I know you didn't do it. I saw my opportunity.
0: And that's the story of the Cray twins. As Greg said, there is a lot of information, a lot of hearsay in this. If you'd like to know more details from all different perspectives, you should check out the book Our Story by Reggie and Ronnie Cray, Charlie's book Me and My Brother's, and there are actually a few other books. I think Reggie or Ronnie wrote their own book called My Story. So you should go check out all those. You can Google them and find them. There's so much information. It's so many different perspectives in this story.
1: It, it, it definitely seems like people, It was it, they were definitely kind of beating a dead horse towards the end with all the books they're releasing. Oh like my it, God,
0: it, dude. It's not even that. It's also the people that are in these documentaries talk like they knew Reggie and Ronnie Cray like, they could tell you what their penis looked like. They knew them <laughs> so well. And it's like, you know what I mean? Like, they were... It's like those guys down at the pub that claim to know Prince. And they're like, no, yeah, he was in here the other time. Yeah, yeah, He calls me up every now and then. Yeah, I, you know those types of people. We yeah, know those types yeah. of people. I'm, the listeners, you guys know those types of people. It's just so... Those types of people are just so fucking annoying. And, and they always claim you know they they know everything about everybody so it's going to turn into embellishment at some point yeah it's just going to you know um i think before we stop um i want to give a shout out to Jess she sent an am- amazingly nice email thank you so much uh she said that she really she's really enjoying the podcast and um Enjoying all the stuff we do. She likes that we're American and English. That's really cool. Thank you so much. Um, thanks to Anita. We see her liking and stuff on pay- on Facebook and all that. I mean, a lot of other people. Thank you so much. I think, um, you know, I can't name everybody, but we do get messages every now and then, so we really do appreciate that. If you'd like to email us, send us any kind words, feel free to do that at info at unfortunatehistory.com. Um, leave us reviews. If you haven't subscribed on your device right now, please subscribe because that really does help us out uh, more so than reviews. So if you'd rather just press that little subscribe button instead of typing out a review, it's so much easier. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. If you want to follow the show, check us out on uh, unfortunatehistory.com. Got all of our links there, including scripts and all that stuff. Um, if you want to follow me, just Google Cody Pennington and I pop right up.
1: Greg. You know how it is, people. Fly the EMU. Follow me on Instagram Woo! and just Greg skinner on Facebook. <laughs> I still don't know what an EMU makes. But <laughs> something like that. That's what I'm going to go with. I'll change it to something else soon. Um, I've, I've just got it. nothing yet. <laughs> no I, I, i'm going to change it periodically to be relevant to the podcast
0: no oh, that's going to that's going to be very confusing for everyone that tries to follow you <laughs>
1: when i find an episode that just gets me like the emu did that's when it's gonna go again
0: <laughs> if you want to check out that emu one just listen to our uh last one before the cray twins the great emu war of australia Please share it with your friends and family, guys. Thank you so much for recommending the podcast. We're up to a really good amount of streams and downloads and stuff. We're loving it; it's going really well. Uh, thank you so much. We might, in the near future, take a week break just to get back mm-hmm. on track, sort of thing. But uh, not sure if we're going to do that yet. I think uh, I think we're doing all right now. Um, we are going to try to release every single Monday in the morning for Americans and in the afternoon for England. So uh, so look out for us every Monday. Um, That's Unfortunate History Monday
1: unfortunate history Monday unfortunate Mondays because Mondays are generally quite unfortunate
0: yeah come on you know uh, you know beat that commute you know what I mean like what's that song in the 80s tell me why
1: I don't like Mondays that really shit Bob Geldof song that just came to my head then
0: I have no idea what you're talking about
1: Unfortunate. (laughs) please Ed please edit that out Bob Geldof
0: I'm (laughs) leaving that in we're in the outro buddy I'm gonna leave that in we don't have to edit anything in the outro there's nobody even listening right now
1: (laughs) talking about <laughs> but the best content comes at the end are people really missing this
0: yeah exactly yeah yeah everybody's missing it promise um if you are listening right now i do want to tell talk to you you sir you ma'am this one person you that's listening individual man. you, you individual person
1: you, uh, you sat on the bus on the way to your desk job Is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really worth it maybe i should start a podcast <laughs> Don't do it. Don't, Don't do, do it, it, it sir. <laughs> Save yourself the trouble.
0: Don't. It's a commitment. No, but but you, <laughs> listener, who's listening right now, you, I've got your attention. Check out our merch store.
1: <laughs> so. <laughs> buy some fucking socks. Buy something. <laughs> Please. Just fucking buy something.
0: We have actually sold some socks and some shirts, so thank you guys for, for buying those. Uh, Shop.UnfortunateHistory.com. Just be aware that the shipping times will take longer due to COVID. We are so sorry, but the world just doesn't turn as fast as it as it used to, you know. I don't know. But with that, I believe that's it guys. I think uh unfortunately we got to go. So stay unfortunate.
1: Stay unfortunate guys. Hey, Bye bye. bye.